0: Welcome to Come Follow Me Deep Dive. This is where we take a chapter by chapter approach to the scriptures that are assigned by the Come Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. My name is Barry Hillam and I hope that this podcast will be a benefit to you. In each episode, you will hear a short flyover summary for the scriptural chapter in question, followed by a verse by verse reading that is supplemented with commentary from parallel passages of scripture and from modern day prophets. You might consider adjusting the playback speed in your favorite podcast player. With that, I'm glad you're with me. Let's get started. Alma, Chapter 6 Well, Just having read this incredible sermon by Alma, In Alma chapter 5, we now pause and read this short chapter that is in Mormon's language, and he acts in this chapter as narrator, really. This chapter functions as something like a bridge between the sermon in Alma chapter 5, addressed, of course, to the people in the land of Zarahemla and the great sermon in Alma chapter 7, which will be addressed to the people of Gideon. So uh, Mormon will talk about how Alma brings these efforts to a close to reform the church in uh, the city of Zarahemla, Uh, this problem that we read about in Alma chapter 4 in detail, as pride had entered the church and all of the problems that came with that. And then Alma chapter 5, of course, addressed that. We'll find that this sermon that Alma wrote and that he gave to us uh, was a piece of a broader effort to reform the church. And Mormon will tell us about that at the beginning of this chapter. Then Alma 6 will bridge us in to Alma chapter 7, which will be presented to us much like Alma chapter 5, meaning that as soon as we begin Alma chapter 7, We will read Alma's words, and he will take us through another uh, really incredible sermon. So we have that to look forward to. But to transition into that, we have statements by Mormon in Alma chapter 6 in verses 7 through 8. We have storytelling narrative from Mormon in verses 7 through 8, which transition us in to this great sermon in Alma chapter 7 and give us context for it. This chapter will give us the opportunity through Mormon's eyes to look at what it takes to reform a church and a people, and he'll talk about fasting, and he'll talk about the role of the Word and of sincere repentance and the ordinances that facilitate all of these things. With that, let's look at the structure of the chapter. The first verse shows us how Alma is establishing order in the church. And that's a phrase that actually comes out of verse 4. He first establishes order in the church by ordaining priests and elders. So order is a good word for this, and it's a priesthood word. And this is his first gesture uh, now that we've read this sermon in Alma chapter 5. Then we discover in verse 2 that new converts are baptized. And then in verses 3 through 6, we find that the unrepentant are removed from the church and their names are blotted out. An order is then established with the word and through fasting and mighty prayer. Specifically, it says in verse 6 that the people did join in fasting and mighty prayer in behalf of the welfare of the souls of those who knew not God. Then the final section in this chapter, and as I just mentioned a moment ago, is in verses 7 through 8, where we find Alma leaving Zarahemla and traveling to the city of Gideon. So we'll cover all this now in a short read-through. First of all, Ogden and Skinner say this before we begin in verse 1. Alma 6 reports the fruits of Alma's pure testimony. And that's a nice way to put it because we're just coming off of this incredible chapter, Alma chapter 5. Those who did not repent had their names blotted out, and their names were removed from the church records and are not found in the book of life. And so there, too, Ogden and Skinner are relating that relationship between the records of the church and ultimately the book of life. We might even be so bold as to say that if one can keep one's membership in the records of the church uh, indefinitely, then one day they will have their names in the membership of the record of the church of the firstborn, which upon a reading of the book of Revelation seems to be an equivalent expression to having your uh, name written in the book of life. Well, uh, verse one, and now it came to pass that after Alma had made an end of speaking unto the people of the church, which was established in the city of Zarahemla, he ordained priests and elders by laying on his hands according to the order of God to preside and watch over the church. So here we are in Mormon's language, telling us that the that's the sermon then that Alma gave to these people. And now, look what else he's going to do. He ordains these priests and these, these elders. So there's structure to all of this. He is apparently adding to what his father did in Mosiah chapter 25, when he established the church more broadly across seven churches, as it said, in the land of Zarahemla, And his son, Alma the Younger, seems to be adding to this structure and expanding it. This seems to be uh, for the sake of more oversight, since there's been problems within the church, but also to accommodate growth. Because as we discover in verse 2, it says, "...and it came to pass that whosoever did not belong to the church, who repented of their sins, were baptized unto repentance and were received into the church." It's wonderful to consider then that there were those in that category that heard Alma's words and that were duly motivated to repent of their sins and become baptized. He's following in his father's footsteps in some very interesting ways. Now verse 3 turns to address those who are within the church, who even after all of Alma's efforts did still not repent. And it came also, and it also came to pass, that whosoever did belong to the church that did not repent of their wickedness and humble themselves before God. I mean those who were lifted up in the pride of their hearts. So in other words, Mormon means those that he was speaking of in Alma chapter 4, and uh, these are those who remain hard even after all of Alma's efforts. So it's sad news to see that that is the case, but it certainly rings true compared to other scriptural accounts that we've read of those who are lifted up in pride. And of course, those uh, probably the ultimate example of this is those who surrounded the Savior himself during his mortal ministry, but continued in pride and were not softened enough to accept him. So as Mormon says, I mean those who were lifted up in the pride of their hearts, the same were rejected and their names were blotted out that their names were not numbered among those of the righteous. So language that was used in the previous chapter, and of course was used in Mosiah chapter 26 as well, when Alma the younger's father dealt with uh, such a comparable problem, it seems, with this rising generation. Now verse 4, and they thus began to establish the order of the church in the city of Zarahemla. So by establishing the order of the church, Alma used the power of the word. He called more uh, priests and teachers. He Accepted new members into baptism, and for lack of a better term, he pruned the members uh, or or the church um, records or membership and um, blotted out the names of those who were no longer numbered among the righteous. Uh, This is from Gerald Hansen's section in uh, a book by Nyman and Tate that is called Alma. And and this is a section, presumably a chapter, that says, Book of Alma as a prototype. So here's what Hansen writes. In Zarahemla, Alma admonished the people to change their hearts and then called them to repentance with straightforward questions. Of course, this is a reference to Alma chapter 5. When he finished his questioning, he did not invite the members to come to Christ, as he did the non-members, but commanded them to repent. We saw evidence of that in the very last verse of Alma chapter 5. Uh, when he says by way of commandment, and then to those who are not members by way of invitation. He even found it necessary to excommunicate those who would not repent because of the pride of their hearts. Alma's preaching, the excommunications, and the ordination of new priesthood leaders were apparently all necessary to reestablish the order of the church again in Zarahemla. Verse 5, Mormon continues, Now, I would that ye should understand that the word of God was liberal unto all. It's as though he's responding to to us uh, reading what we have so far and saying, after all that Alma has preached and taught, uh, there are still those who didn't respond well to it. And was it really necessary to excommunicate some? That seems to be what Mormon is addressing here when he says, listen, we've done all we can, or Alma has done all he can. And ye should understand that the word of God was liberal unto all, that none were deprived of the privilege of assembling themselves together to hear the word of the Lord. Uh, we know that this will be true more broadly for all of God's children, that all, uh, none will be deprived of the opportunity of accepting Christ as their Savior. Verse 6, nevertheless, the children of God were commanded that they should gather themselves together oft and join in fasting and mighty prayer in behalf of the welfare of the souls who knew not God, uh, the souls of those who knew not God. Uh, and so Mormon seems to be saying that, yes, there are those who did not make it onto the membership of the church, either because they were not yet converted Or they're in some disciplinary process, a remedial process, where they had to be excommunicated. And so uh, another way of handling that is to acknowledge that this is an ongoing process and that the uh, members of the church would join together in fasting and mighty prayer on the behalf of those who are in that category. This is from Ogden and Skinner. Uh, The Word of God was liberal unto all. The Book of Mormon uses the term liberal in the sense of freely available and generous. The former day saints did not set their hearts upon riches, therefore they were liberal to all, both old and young, both bond and free, both male and female, whether out of the church or in the church, having no respect to persons as to those who stood in need. And that's out of Alma chapter 1, verse 30. That's how those former day saints are described. So it is in Christ's church today, Humanitarian assistance is freely given to members and non-members alike. True saints are liberal, that is, open-minded and open-hearted, generous in sharing with others. All are alike unto God. All missionary-minded members of the kingdom attend meetings and fast and pray for those who have not yet found God. Emerson Ballard has written this, Having a gospel-sharing home will not only be a blessing for those we bring into our homes, but for those who live within it. By living in a gospel-sharing home, our testimonies become stronger and our understanding of the gospel improves. In gospel-sharing homes, we pray for guidance for ourselves, and we pray for the physical and spiritual well-being of others. We pray for the people the missionaries are teaching, for our acquaintances, and for those not of our faith. In the gospel-sharing homes of Alma's time, the people would join in fasting and mighty prayer in behalf of the welfare of the souls of those who knew not God. That's out of a conference talk by Elder Ballard called Creating a Gospel Sharing Home. Focusing in specifically on this idea of fasting on behalf of others, uh, this is one of the great purposes of a fast and a, of a collective fast and reminds one of the statement of Isaiah uh, in Isaiah chapter 58, verse 6, that says, Is not this the fast that I have chosen to loose the bands of wickedness? to undo the heavy burdens and to let the oppressed go free and that ye break every yoke. That's the end of Mormon's descriptions of Alma's efforts to reform the church and to bring it into order in the city of Zarahemla. Now our attention will turn to a new place. Since Mosiah chapter 25, when all came back together in Zarahemla, And up to this point in the narrative, we have had opportunity to consider other places. We know that the sons of Mosiah, during the time that Alma is doing these things, is back in the land of Nephi. And in in the earlier chapters of the book of Alma, other places were discussed with respect to war with the Lamanites, but this is a new time because now our main character And our prophet and our spiritual leader is now leaving Zarahemla and traveling to Gideon, the city of Gideon. And it is here where he will deliver a sermon to a people that are of a very different disposition, it seems, than those that he was speaking to in Alma chapter 5. So verse 7, and now it came to pass that when Alma had made these regulations, he departed from them. So there's a new way of putting it. Uh, Mormon says that he restored order. To the church, and here he says he made regulations. So he departed from them, yea, from the church which was in the city of Zarahemla, and went over upon the east of the river Sidon into the valley of Gideon. There having been a city built, which was called the city of Gideon, which was in the valley that was called Gideon, uh, being called after the man who was slain by the hand of Nehor with the sword. All things that we have read about relatively recently. But this is our first idea that inside of the valley of Gideon, there was also a city. Verse 8, And Alma went and began to declare the word of God unto the church which was established in the valley of Gideon. So note that he's not going to establish the church in this valley. It is already established. According to the revelation of the truth of the word which had been spoken by his fathers, and according to the spirit of prophecy which was in him, according to the testimony of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who should come to redeem his people from their sins, and the holy order by which he was called. And thus it is written, amen. Alma stated his credentials, uh, we we could say it that way, at the beginning of Alma chapter 5. Here, Mormon, in describing Alma's movements as a missionary from Zarahemla, and of course as the chief priest of the church, and uh, no more holding the position of chief judge, Now, here he is going into the the land of Gideon or the city of Gideon, and Mormon has his own way of expressing Alma's credentials and talking about how it is that he will go and do what he sets out to do. Uh, We can read it almost in list form, seeing that he does it according to revelation, as it says in verse 8, revelation of the truth of the word which had been spoken by his fathers. So that, in other words, is the truth that is contained in scriptures and the way in which Revelation accompanies the reading of those scriptures. Uh, So that's very clearly what Mormon is saying here. So that's part of the formula for Alma's success as he goes into Gideon. Then he says, according to the spirit of prophecy which was in him. So the spirit of prophecy which was in Alma. We read, of course, in the book of Revelation that there's a linkage between the spirit of prophecy and the testimony of Jesus, Well, here is that same linkage here, because then after this comma, Mormon says, spirit of prophecy, which is in him, comma, according to the testimony of Jesus Christ, the Son of God who should come to redeem his people from their sins. So Alma is going with the spirit of truth that comes from Scripture and the revelation that accompanies the use of Scripture. Then he's coming according to the spirit of prophecy, which is linked to the testimony of Jesus Christ. So that's the second thing. And the third thing that he lists is that he comes by the authority of the holy order by which he was called, which is also a really critical piece of this. So it's interesting to to look at those three things and read them as a list in that manner and to consider their meaning today and how they might apply to modern-day missionary work. Well, uh, this is from History of the Church, which supports this idea of the spirit of prophecy and its linkage to a testimony of Jesus Christ. The prophet Joseph Smith said, God, in his superior wisdom, has always given his saints, wherever he had any on the earth, the same spirit. And that spirit, as John says, is the true spirit of prophecy, which is the testimony of Jesus. Well, this is Alma chapter 6 then, and this really does help us move in. These last two verses help us in particular to contextualize what it is that we're about to read in Alma chapter 7 so that we can fully appreciate that Alma has now set his efforts aside, at least as far as physically being there in the city of Zarahemla and is now coming to Gideon. It'll be evident as we read in Alma chapter 7 that these people have a different set of needs and they are spiritually in a different place than the people that Alma was speaking to in Zarahemla. So, we have all that to look forward to. And this brings us to the end of Alma, Chapter 6. Thank you for listening to Come Follow Me, Deep Dive. I want to acknowledge the resources that have helped me prepare this and previous episodes of this podcast. Grant Hardy's Reader's Edition of the Book of Mormon has helped me with the sectional divisions. In these chapters. Kelly Ogden and Andrew Skinner's verse-by-verse commentary on the Book of Mormon has provided me with rich commentary. I also want to acknowledge a new resource that I've used for the last few chapters, which is the Book of Mormon Study Guide, the revised edition from Thomas R. Valletta. Parallel passages of Scripture and general conference addresses that come to mind also play a prominent role in this podcast as do my own thoughts and writings. For them and any errors that you find in them, I, of course, am solely responsible. I hope that this podcast has had the effect of drawing you to the scriptural text that is so rich with detail and generous with truths that can help us navigate through our own lives and, most importantly, draw closer to God in our study of His Word. So thank you for listening.